we have something we can offer our young people as church today, which is a family. But it would also just be really cool to hear church leaders acknowledge you are the church. Where you are right now, you are the church too. So this isn't a matter of you asking the church for things. You have the capacity to do them yourselves. There's a huge potential for that in the preparatory document for the Synod. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today, since there was a Synod of Bishops in October about young people, the faith, and vocational discernment, we're going to do the same. Of course, we're Americans, and our issues are only a small part of the church, but that's no reason not to talk about them. I'm going to be really honest with y'all here and say that this episode was put together in a bit of a rush. And so, for example, I didn't even manage to find a young man to interview, but I have three young women because, well, two of them work here. (laughs) You know me and organization. Um, But I still think there's enough here to discuss. You can judge. I think it's still pretty good, frankly. So we're starting with Sister Helena Burns of the Daughters of St. Paul. You will probably recognize her voice and her energy from the Humanae Vitae episodes. Hello, my name is Sister Helena Burns from the Daughters of St. Paul, and I present Theology of the Body to teens and young adults and adults and whoever will listen. Sister Helena gives talks all over. She loves the spirit of young people. I always tell them, you did not create this culture the culture that you're living in, every young person thinks, ooh, this is my culture. It's like, no, actually, this culture was created for each of us by the generation that came before us. So we're living in someone else's culture. And if you don't like it, if it's bringing you sadness and anxiety and depression, maybe you need to try something else. Young people like to rebel, so rebel against this culture because this culture is not doing you any favors. This culture is making you anxious and depressed and everything. So it's a little complicated because you have to kind of claw your way out of it. You have to crawl up into the light. Sister Helena focuses on how adults have failed young people by giving them this broken culture. So our young people are smart. Our young people are good. They have the hardware, but we have hamstrung them. We have tripped them up so they don't know how to use the hardware, and they have this incredible virtual world of the Internet and devices and video games and, sadly, porn that they can escape into. And they don't have to live in this painful world that makes no sense, this absurd world that they've been told has no meaning beyond the meaning you give it. Okay, let's back up. What Sister is saying is that we have taught young people that life is meaningless, maybe not in so many words. But implicitly, the only thing that matters is how we feel. What I always say is that the culture is evangelizing the church right now. The church is supposed to be evangelizing the culture of each time and age and place. And when the church doesn't do her job and evangelize the culture, the culture will evangelize the church. And the culture has gotten very, very monolithic. It's a globalist kind of a thing where there are talking points. There is a mentality that's seeping in everywhere. I always blame the church. If our young people are hurting, it's our fault. (laughs) If the culture is all messed up, it's our fault. They're not the church. Christ didn't give, quote-unquote, the world the truth. He gave it to his church to give and bring to the world and invite to the world. So we can offer our young people a family as church. We can offer them a home. We can offer them a place to come where people will listen to them. 
That's hopefully what happened in Rome last month. The church acting as a good mother, listening to her children, comforting and directing them. Our young people are just starving for conversation. Uh, nobody talks to anybody anymore. It's just a bunch of you know, mediated conversations through quick texting. And sometimes we have to be open to answering hard questions. Uh, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and the priest said this mother came up to him. And she said, my teenage daughter is asking all these questions about the faith. How do I get her to stop? <laughs> he said, oh, that's really good. You don't want her to stop. He said, if you don't know the answers, you need to educate yourself, Mom. Or you need to bring somebody into the equation who can help your daughter and find some good books for her to read and things to watch and to answer her questions. This is what we want. We want our young people to be asking questions, to be curious, and to believe that there's answers. Bishop Sis in the Diocese of San Angelo in Texas, was a college chaplain at Texas A&M for over 13 years. Well, we don't really say oh, go, don't. Aggies. Oh, what do you say? At A&M, you say, gig em, Aggies! Oh, okay then. Bishop Sis really enjoyed his time at A&M. You can tell by the way he talks about it. I love working with college kids. I still do. I find them to be a sign of hope for the future of our world. They're young and talented and energetic. They're willing to learn. They're interested in growing. And of course, when they're in college, they're trying to make the most out of the gifts that God has given them. They're trying to develop themselves. And that's always very inspiring. Of course, here we are talking about young people in college, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that still today, a majority of young people between the ages of 18 and 21 are not in college. There's a serious gap in the church's ministry because we forget that. But college is a great time for evangelization. It's a journey of learning. And when a young person is 18 or 19 years old and they go off to college, it's the first time to be away from home. They're learning a lot about themselves. They're learning how to function independently of their parents. And so for the church to be involved in that phase in their life is very precious. He also understands why youth or young adult ministry isn't for everyone. It requires a lot of patience because they're young, they're, they're not perfect, they're still learning. So you have to have a lot of patience in working with them. It also brought out in me an openness, an open-mindedness to their questions because young people are so full of questions. And if we approach them with a narrow mind, or with a judgmental attitude, they don't come back. So we have to approach young people with an open mind and an understanding that they're just learning, and we need to welcome their questions. Bishop Sis got a lot out of his time at a and I was inspired by their desire for holiness, and it inspired me to desire holiness more myself because of what I witnessed in them. When asked what he thinks young adults want... Bishop Sis says, Make room for them. That's what young people are crying out for in parishes. Make room for us. Give us a chance. For example, if you have a men's ministry or a Knights of Columbus group, you need to make room for the leadership of those young men. And don't just force those young men to sit by quietly while the old men do the same thing year after year. You have to make room for the natural leadership of these young men. Give them roles of leadership and let them shine. It's the same thing in women's ministries. You might have a women's group in the parish 
And you invite young women to that group. You have to find roles of service and roles of leadership for the young ones too. Don't make them sit there and patiently wait 20 years until they have a role of, le- of leadership. Get them involved right away. He also admires the way young people step up to the plate. You know how a young person can say, here's a need in the church, nobody else is doing it, I can do it, and I'm going to start a ministry. Now turning to another of our favorite young at heart bishops. My name is Bishop Frank Caggiano, and I'm the Bishop of Bridgeport in Connecticut. I asked Bishop Caggiano why it is that at almost 60 years old, don't tell, he's still so youthful and relates so well to young people. I think young people like a person who who stare them in the eye, make them feel comfortable, tell them like it is, and not turn their back on them. And I, I please God, I try to do that. One of the points Bishop Caggiano makes about discernment is one that I think we don't hear enough. No one grows up voluntarily. No one grows up voluntarily. We don't like growing up. After a certain point, We don't like taking responsibility. We don't like having to do all the things. We need someone to make us. That sounds about right to me. I'm technically a millennial too, y'all, but I'm on the very upper end. And frankly, I think there's some some sort of mistake here. (laughs) We are not millennials. Um, No offense. I hope that as a church, we can really grow in helping people to discern how are you called to love as a unique and unrepeatable person? What are your charisms? What are your gifts? What is the way that God has shaped your life thus far through your experiences, through the gifts that you've chosen to hone, through the graces of the Holy Spirit that have been given to you? How are you called to give of yourself? This is Anna Carter from the Eden Invitation. Every one of us is called to give ourselves back to God and to give ourselves in love to others. Do young people know that? I think as a church, we could start younger with emphasizing like self-knowledge and self-reflection. And taking like a prayerful look at your own life, taking a prayerful look at the circumstances of your life, what has gone well, where you've really felt like you came alive. I think for young people, the only place we really do that is career counseling, maybe, or college counseling. But even then, it's just kind of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's all about what do you want? It's not about, hey, could you look at your life? What has like made you thrive? Where have you really felt like you came alive? Of all your volunteer opportunities you've done, like which one would you go back to every day if you could or if you had to? (laughs) A prayerful look, a serious look at what God may have for them. How many people graduate college today and actually don't know what they want to do? They literally just drop tens of thousands of dollars and they don't know what they want. We're failing. (laughs) Like We're totally failing if so many young people are ending up in that situation. Okay, full disclosure, that was me. I graduated college with very little idea of what I wanted to do. In fact, I was nominated for something my junior year, and I met with the dean about it, and she asked what my plans were. When I said I didn't know, she said that was not an intelligent answer for an intelligent young woman. She was right, but I left in tears and no closer to knowing what to do. And now, since what I love is podcasting and that, like, didn't even exist, maybe that's why. I'm just thinking of, like, Socrates, right? Like a well-examined life or a... I'm going to butcher his quote, but basically the idea that self-examination is essential to a life worth living, and that self-knowledge, I think, can help us to look at what elements of spirituality have spoken to our hearts, what scripture passages tend to resonate with us, 
Um, heck, even if you do a, like, dumb personality test, okay, they're not dumb, so people won't really like those. If you're doing, like, a Myers-Briggs, if you're doing a temperament test, pray with your results. We could all do with some more self-examination <laughs> and prayerful self-examination, right, not just spiraling navel-gazing. Anna talks about asking friends and family to help you discern as well, and not only the formal state in life, but what other ways you could serve, even within your state. If I really feel like I have a gift for hospitality, if I look at my life, I'm like, gosh, I love planning parties. Every time I've had to plan a party, it's been so fun. Great. Start intentionally planning some more parties or putting some more intentionality into having people over. And, like, does that spirit continue? Do you have that same sense? Well, then maybe that's part of your charism. Maybe that's part of your calling. And I'll look for a way, like, gosh, how can I do that more as my church? Like, maybe just not having these barbecues for my friends, but what can I do in my parish with my gift of hospitality? Sounds like a plan, no? I promised you some bona fide young people, didn't I? Okay, I am Jean-Marie Hathaway. I'm a student at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. I'm 20 years old, theology and philosophy student. Okay. So my name is Kelly Walsh. I am 23 years old, and I work as the World Youth Day staff assistant for the USCCB. My name is Elizabeth Plaza. I just turned 21 years old, and I also work for the USCCB for the promotion and defense of marriage. So let's hear just a bit of their stories. We'll go in the same order for these. So the first clip will always be Jean-Marie, followed by Kelly, then Elizabeth. We talked about their family backgrounds. So I'm the second of six kids, two girls, four boys, raised Catholic. I've been in Catholic school my whole life, raised going to church every Sunday. That was an expectation. Some traditions like Advent candle lighting was always a big fight. And <laughs> we did the stations every Friday during Lent. So things like that. So I was raised Catholic. My mom grew up in a traditional Catholic family. My dad is actually Lutheran, but he really valued what my mom was basically bringing into the home. I am a cradle Catholic from a pretty big extended Irish Catholic family. My mom is one of eight, so our family on that side is super big and we always have fun family gatherings together, especially around the holidays. So. Faith was pretty important in my family growing up. Okay, so we've got three cradle Catholic millennials. Jean and Elizabeth both go to Catholic U. Reminder, that's across the street. And Kelly is a graduate of Fordham. They talked about the importance of friends in their faith lives. Having a group of friends who are pursuing holiness. And that doesn't mean that you're in a perfect ideal friend group where everyone's a saint or where, you know, nobody's making mistakes, but it's just that at the end of the day, the most important thing in your life is pursuing holiness. And so you understand that the decisions that you're making, you have a little more accountability to them. You can't just say, you know, I'm just going to do what every other college student does for four years and then graduate and just be like a normal, healthy adult. It takes a little more reflection and thought and self-checking than that, which is really important in a friend group. Sean wants to note, however, that sometimes when young people hear that, they think only of one kind of person they're going to assume that that also means joining a friend group of a specific type of people. I definitely had that, that like the sort of Catholic friend group at every school is they're really quiet kids who have like strange niche interests and are weirdly critical of everything that I do or something, you know, those like really like bad stereotypes. And that contributes to the impression that holiness is boring and 
the real world is more fun when it's exactly the opposite because the life that you were created for is an adventure that's unique to you and it's a challenge that's like so worthy that only you can rise to it and that's why you exist so you know and then you you look at a group of people who are doing that and you realize how differently they're pursuing that versus a group of people that is apparently living the exciting life but every conversation every weekend is exactly the same Kelly's friends also helped her to be faithful. So I think the most important is basically the friendships that you form at your university. So for me, I went to Fordham University, a Jesuit Catholic school, where everyone was really, they valued their faith. And so I think being around a group of young people that are all supportive of that is really important. And Elizabeth had a harder transition into college life. So I think the reason I started straying was I sort of became friends with people who weren't avid mass goers. We would study late on Sunday nights and it would just sort of slip my mind or I would just forget. But then I became friends with a new group and they were very Catholic-centered and faith-focused. And bringing that back into my life, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was missing this. And they really helped me get back on track and sort of remember why I am a Catholic and why this is important to me. Let's talk about church teaching with these youngins, shall we? It's about conforming to what is true in the same way that your spiritual life is about conforming to God's will. Little did we ever learn that logic was really like developed by Catholic philosophers and theologians in the medieval period. And so that was super important for me, you know, just helping me gain appreciation for the church teachings. I think I always kind of assumed that I was an accurate measure for what's true or what's good just because like I had a firm sense of that in high school there are times when or in any I guess any class like everyone fails a test and then they're like okay it's not our fault because it was hard and the teacher wrote a poor test and like we want to redo and in that situation like in a small way you're still making yourself the standard of judgment instead of stopping to think like maybe I didn't understand the material take the time to understand the material you know Maybe just a little more work to be done. As she studied more, Jeanne came to a new appreciation of the church, even in her more, quote-unquote, controversial teachings. For me and at my high school especially, I think the church's teachings on marriage and sexuality were really contested or misunderstood. And I thought that the judgments I had about them were valid. But it was more like if I picked up a Russian version of Anna Karenina, And I was like, this is a horrible book. It doesn't make sense. And I don't consider the fact that I don't speak Russian. Um, Then like that judgment may not have as much weight as somebody who actually is fluent in Russian, reads it, and then determines on the level of actual literary quality. And that, that can be how it is for a lot of Catholics when we're looking at church teachings. We think we know the language that we're reading it in and we don't. And having grown up Catholic and being educated Catholic doesn't make you fluent. So that was really helpful to me just to develop the habit of not using myself as a standard of judgment. Kelly is interested especially in the church's social doctrine. I guess for me, I think right now we're at this point in the world where social awareness is really important. Not that it hasn't been in the past, but I think a lot of young people are like speaking up. And so with that and how quickly society is changing these days, it seems like young people are really in tune to that. And so we have a lot of information to share and we're excited about it. And 
So like women's rights, that's really important to me. Mental health, things like that. Um, how I grew up and probably people before me, young people were told to be quiet because that's just how it was, a sign of respect. But now that there's this push for respect between ages, I just think that's amazing. And there's a lot to be learned from it. Elizabeth thinks that the inherent instability of faith, the risk that it is, makes it hard for young people. Especially this generation, which is kind of like the instant gratification generation, Mm -hmm. that unknowingness and the uncertainty is just, they really very sensitive to it. Yeah. Why do you think? I don't know. I just think that, oh, if they want something to eat, they can order it on an app and it's at their house in five minutes. Or if they don't know the answer to something, they can type it into Google and, oh, there it is. So they've always just had whatever they needed or wanted accessible to them pretty instantaneously. But then having this question of something larger than themselves that everyone around them is still trying to figure out, I think is a little bit daunting and scary. And that a lot depends on how the teaching is communicated. So I think that people today look at the church's teachings on marriage as sort of rules and guidelines and restrictions of what they're not allowed to do or not supposed to do, but they're really designed to lead you closer to God and to make you happy. So I think, um, especially for young people who are being bombarded with so many different messages and sort of falsehoods about what will make them happy, I want to be a part of showing that the church's teachings are ultimately designed to bring you to your closer to your purpose that God made you for and made for love. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even have to pay her to say that. She just did it. With Jean, I talked about the synod and its timing with the scandal. The one thing that I really keep thinking too in the midst of this horrible, horrible crisis and all the confusion that's surrounding everything is that this is a family emergency. And maybe our fathers have been accused of some really horrible stuff. And some of them have done really, really horrible stuff. But they're still my fathers and I'm still their child. Two years ago or a year and a half ago when this synod was announced, the Holy Spirit knew this was going to happen. And the Holy Spirit knew that young people would be coming face-to-face with the adult leaders of the church at this time specifically. If that's not wisdom, y'all. But then also, I was just thinking about the nature of a family meeting, that you reach an age of reason where you should be included. And that's not necessarily because you have the wisdom to offer a solution, but your presence is a reminder of why we're there and of what a family is. It's a family meeting. I love that. Jean was able to go to Rome with an initiative of Notre Dame, so I hope that was fruitful. We haven't talked since she got back. Young people have like a capacity for not confusing the church as this perfect and holy institution for the evil that is like in the world that we're capable of as human beings. Um, I think we have like a clear grasp on like there's a difference in those things. You know, I'm not going to confuse those things by accident. But, you know, I think a lot of times when the church or these preparatory documents or in some of the ways that our bishops speak to young people, there's almost like a lack of confidence. There's like, we have to try so hard to speak in your language that as a young person, number one, 
you might feel like that's not really my language, but also like, I'm not looking to you because I want you to come where I am. Like I want, I want you to like show me how to get where you are. And so there's like a kind of dialogue that comes from confidence that I would like to see that comes from, you know, that would be young people. You are capable of studying these things with rigor. You're capable of pursuing sainthood right now, right where you are. There are programs, there are ways of increasing visibility that I think would be good and awesome to see, but it would also just be really cool, I think, to hear church leaders acknowledge you are the church. Where you are right now, you are the church too. Kelly will also see the Pope soon because she's our World Youth Day assistant. It's basically the largest Catholic gathering of young people, and it was started by St. John Paul. I'm basically making sure that Pilgrims are registered, they know what's going on, they feel prepared, they have resources in their preparation. I'm also making sure that our bishops are registered and they feel prepared. (laughs) And then, yeah, I'm kind of keeping people up to date on what's going on in Panama as they prepare for all these pilgrims to arrive. So yeah, just kind of sharing information and getting people excited. Since discernment was a topic for the Synod, I asked these ladies what they knew about it. We'll start with Kelly and Elizabeth. Or have you never been told anything about discernment? That's the other option. Okay, that's a good point. I think, like, yeah, I have stuff to say, but I think I haven't been told that much, honestly. I had to to really look up stuff on my own, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I worked, actually, in an office of vocations, for Sisters of Charity, and I still don't have a full, clear-cut definition of exactly what discernment is or what the discernment process looks like. This is helpful. Yeah. So how about, has any, anyone ever explained to you, like, consolation and desolation and what that is or what that... No. (laughs) Wait, will you tell us and then... Wait, so why don't know. we know this? Yeah, I didn't even know what desolation was. Really? Yeah, no. Oh my gosh! But, but why don't okay. we, why do you I think we don't know that? I don't know, but that's bad. Somebody yeah. Somebody should be teaching that. Yeah. That's no, that's very true. Wait, did you go to, um, like, private school growing up, or? Um, I went to Catholic elementary school. Okay, so then... did I, but then I went to public school, so I yeah. kind of feel like I had this real dropout. Okay, older people, we are failing somewhere in educating young people If two women working at the USCCB don't know what consolation and desolation mean, and what that means, I think, is that we probably have a lot of adult Catholics walking around who don't know these terms either, and they're like, our terms. (laughs) By the way, if that's you, no judgment here, go to the show notes and I'll link to some resources so you can know. John started with the unhelpful ways discernment is explained to young people. If you're not actively considering religious life, then you're not discerning properly or like sort of ways of speaking about it that issue a judgment on someone who feels firm in a call to marriage or just really wants to get married. I'm telling them that like that desire could actually come from a lack of holiness. That's really bad. Happily, Jean has learned that she is always being spoken to by the Lord. The best was discern more immediately. In one way, kind of take a second, forget about the vocational discernment piece. Discern more immediately what in this moment here and now will make me become a little bit better friends with Christ. What am I about to say in this conversation? How am I about to react to this person cutting me off? 
on 495. What am I going to do about the fact that I've woken up and I'm exhausted and I have to go to class? Learning to discern in that moment what is going to be pleasing to Christ and deepen your friendship with him. And that we, we kind of need to relearn that sense of discernment before you can get to the bigger stuff. So I think just sort of making it a more immediate every second of every day is a chance to like deepen that friendship. And I think it's important to be super aware of that. And so for me, it took a lot of pressure off when I realized the purpose of my life right now as a young person in terms of discernment isn't figuring out necessarily the logistics of the next, the rest of my life. It's learning how to understand what it means for the Lord to call me at every second of every day. And finally, mostly because it's near and dear to my heart, here's something that served to bring Elizabeth closer to Jesus. A weird thing that brought me back to my faith was contemporary Christian music. CUA has praise and worship on Wednesdays, and they sing a lot of fun, modern Christian songs. And that was one thing that sort of got me, oh, like, this is exciting and fun, and I want to go to this, but also it's adoration, and I'm with the Lord on a Wednesday night. So it was it's fun to sort of marry those two of moder- modernity and yeah. faith. And just always keeping an open mind about new things that you can incorporate into faith life. You would not believe how many people, like, get squished into that chapel and then, like, pour out onto the stairs. You have to get there. It starts at 9. You have to get there at, like, 8.45 if you want to see. It's so crazy. And then they have mozzarella sticks afterwards. (laughs) So, like I said, a bit scattered for this episode, but here are a few takeaways. Number one, young people are the church now not just the church of the future. Two, young people need us. The culture is not conducive to good friendship or relationships or mental health or anything. So they need the church to step up and support them. Number three, it is not their fault if they don't know stuff, okay? Okay, great. Happy November. Is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't asked you? Oh my God, no. The only thing you need is my social security number. You know, just about the rest of my life. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.